1: Turn up your Your volume. Because you're about
0: to listen to
1: The Sick Sick Podcast. Podcast.
0: The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning
2: Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond Mark. The sickest NHL podcast. It's going to be sick.
1: And welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here on the SICK Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy, with my co-host, Pierre Maguire, here. And we are ready for a wonderful show, Pierre. We're going to be welcoming on uh, Matt Cater, a longtime NHL agent. Bruins fans may know him from representing their longtime captains at Aino Chara, but he's, he's worked with plenty more players, Pierre, over his career as an agent. As you informed me earlier today, he was also a scout. Uh, with the St. Louis Blues. So he's seen it from both perspectives. Uh, interested to ask him about that dynamic as well.
0: Well, I think that's a big part of why he's been so successful in his agency business. He can identify players when they're a little bit younger and then go out and, you know, try to really put the full court press and recruit them. Uh, and he's not wasting his time just trying to load up with all these different guys. He's actually very selective in terms of how he decides who he wants to represent and when he wants to represent them. So I respect that part of it. And the other thing, too, is uh, Matt was a really good player. Matt played at Trinity College. He played professionally over in Sweden. Um, so he kind of understands the game from a player's perspective, from a scout's perspective. And obviously he's got a little bit of an education because he's a Trinity Bantam. So, I mean, I'll just play nice to the Nescat guy, if you know what I
1: mean. <laughs> good stuff. Well, we've got him right now, it appears. So let's bring Matt Cater in to the eye test.
2: Hi guys, how are you? Good. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing well. I, good to see you. Uh, I'm enjoying uh, the cold winter of uh, of the uh, grind of of the final end of the hockey season here, especially with prep
1: schools and and colleges. So uh, mm-hmm. it's all been going well. Great, great. Well, you know, I think we've been lucky though when it comes to the weather. It has the last few days it felt like uh, winter, but other than that, we've been pretty good, eh? Oh, it's been it's been really
2: it's been nice. Uh, long as I can get my ten thousand steps a day, and I'm okay.
1: You know, <laughs> the old man walks, so
0: Jimmy. Jimmy. Before we even get into the hard nuts and bolts questions, do you see what's over Matt's left shoulder? I do. Obviously, a sweater for the great Adam Fox. And this might have been some of the best agency work Matt ever did. Mm-hmm. People forget that Adam was actually drafted by Calgary, traded right. to Carolina, and ends up in his favorite team. New York with the Rangers and there's the man that helped engineer all of it.
2: Well, he, uh, Adam engineered it because he's such a great player. I mean, he was a three-time all American at Harvard and, um, you know, we had the leverage, I guess, to, uh, you know, dictate a little bit of where, where he would want to go. And I think from talking to him and his family, he always wanted to be a New York Ranger and set his mind to it. And we were able to do it and, we made sure that we messaged it correctly. I think to the team, and uh, I had Adam do a lot of the talking for himself. You know, I mm-hmm. one of the things I really believe in is empowering the player to make his own decisions, be his own person, and you know, our role as an agent is to uh, let them develop into becoming businessmen for themselves. And we'll talk a lot, hopefully, more about that dynamic as we go yes. through this. Uh, but Adam. Adam did a great job in terms of uh, expressing why he wanted to get there.
0: Jimmy, just before you step in, I just want to say one more thing too. One of the things that I think Matt recognizes from his plan and and his coaching and obviously scouting, the agent works for the player. The player doesn't work for the agent. And I think a lot of young ones, especially their parents, sometimes get caught up in that and they get intimidated by the whole process. And I don't think Matt is one of those. In fact, I know he's not just from personal experience, but Matt, why don't you talk us through that? Because I know you're a big believer in that. Well, I,
2: I think it's, I think what, what happens is, and you know, this will be a theme throughout is the parents early on dictate the relationship, right? They're the ones, because the kids are young, they're, they're involved in it in the early portions in particular. And, you know, I I always think of, like, who are the best parents to deal with? They're the ones who empower their kids, like Adams did, you know, to make his own decisions. The hardest ones to deal with are the ones who micromanage every piece of every day for their kid and their Mm -hmm. hockey careers. And they get so caught up in the external gratification of being – of their son being a, a top player and an elite player that they don't allow the kid his space to develop. Does that make sense? Yeah. 100%. yeah sure. And um, you know, I, I the fun part for me in this job is to is to watch the player grow on and off the ice. You know, start with them age 15, like I've done with with a lot of these kids. Watch them go all the way through their whole career. You know, I've had a number of those so far and watch them grow and develop. And the best parents are the ones who get them to a certain point and then sit back. And they let their they let the kid run and they mm-hmm. let dictate the relationship because in the end, I'm not the one in charge. Of the players. Yeah. You know, guide them using guideposts from my, you know, 34 years of experience. But in the end, it's up to the it's up to the player uh, to make decisions for himself. And that's what I'm trying to empower him to do. By extension, the parents also.
1: It, Matt, I, I wanted to. and Obviously, you don't have to name any names or anything, but just. You know, I think as we're talking here, I think of what happened to Jack Johnson and how horrible that was with his parents. And I wonder, have you ever been in a situation where maybe you feared it was heading, not that somebody's going to take anyone's money, but if you feared that it was heading in a bad direction with parents and you were able to sit them down and kind of make them see it from a different perspective and, and, and make them see everything you just said to us?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that has, I think I've been able to do that with some, but others just don't listen. You know, okay. they they, yeah, just they just don't listen. they It's uh, it, its hard. But those are the ones I end up probably not wanting to work with in the end. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, life's too short to deal with that, I guess. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, the only victim is, unfortunately, is the, uh, the, the kid, you know, mm-hmm. the, the player. Um, you know, the Johnson thing, I don't know all the particulars on it. Um, but that gets to my whole empowering thing. I think it's important – in, in certain cases for of the player uh, not to have everything done for him. It's yep. for the player to understand their money, understand taxes, understand endorsements, understand contracts, leverage points within the CBA, arbitrations, everything so that they can make you know decisions and be a part of it and be hands-on. You know, um, with regard to player finances, I keep an arm's length away from it. I let, the, I let them decide, you know, who they want to work with, the player in particular, you know, along with his family and everything. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, you see parts of that, though, and it's, uh, it's really important to empower people to be themselves and to do their, you know, learn.
0: Matt, you and I basically came into the National Hockey League at the same time, late 80s, early 90s. How much have you seen it change? both as a hockey professional, as an agent, from, let's say, 1990 to 2024. So I started scouting in 1989. I came back from Europe
2: after playing at Trinity. Uh, shout out to the Bantams, of course. And I played over in Sweden for a year and came back, and I got a job scouting for $6,000 a year with the St. Louis Blues. It was the great Ron Caron who hired me, uh, along with Teddy Hampson, who, who Pierre knows. And I saw like 300 games that year. I was all into it. You know, I was 23, Mm -hmm. 24 years old. I was all into it. Back then the staff, our staff in St. Louis was four people. Wow.
0: Yeah. And and two of them were maniacs from Western Canada, Patty Janelle and Teddy Hampson. Trust (laughs) Trust me. Yeah,
2: And I was like the eager prep school kid. I came from a different world than these guys. And the other guy was Jack Evans, not the coach, Tex Evans, but Jack Evans lived up in Goderich, Ontario. So the four of us covered the entire world. So for me, for eight years working with St. Louis, it was an unbelievable experience. I got to travel all over the world. I've been to Moscow. I've been to Eurosla- uh, God, Yugoslavia. I've been to Helsinki, Moose Jaw, everywhere, like <laughs> all over, everywhere. And, and I got a great education for eight years. Uh, Growing and developing within the game, building relationships. That's all that so much of anything is relationships. And, you know, one of the things I think I helped the Blues with because they were very old school at the time, they were drafting players without even meeting them. And I started encouraging players, uh, them to meet the players. Hey, there's a novel idea. They weren't doing interviews back then, no teams were. I remember driving down in 1993 to Schaefer, Old Schaefer Stadium to meet with Bobby Greer. Because I liked his son, Michael Greer, who was at St. Sebastian's. Yep. And I interviewed Mike and talked to his dad and got to know them. And, you know, we picked Mike in the ninth round and, and it turned out okay. Uh, and I, I, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't to have taken team. him if I, didn't, if I hadn't met him first, you know. So, um, you know, so I, I think that it's changed a lot. Now we have everyone's meeting everyone. Everyone's got computers. Everyone's using advanced statistics. It's uh, it's totally changed. Staffs are fifteen to twenty people instead of four,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: it's really, really changed a lot. I, I think what's really changed, Pierre, is the evolution. I think what you, what you, you guys did in, in Pittsburgh with all this Yager talk, like the, you know, influence of Yager, the Stasnies, the European invasion. I think has really changed the game and changed scouting a lot. Where now it's it's like. All of a sudden, we're going to Europe for tournaments. All of a sudden, we're going all over the world for players. And a lot of it has to do with the European influence has allowed us to go from 21 teams to 32 teams. I hope it goes to 45 teams because that means more players in the NHL level for me to represent. Um, But, you know, it's totally changed. But a a lot of that revolves around the European training methods and the European influence, which has allowed our game to grow into a global sport and has allowed the uh, league to expand uh, and be that much more talented. So, and that's brought into scouting and
1: everything's had to change. So I wanted to just with Europe there, just thinking this as you're saying it um, when European players first started to come over, Matt, were a lot of them, you know, did they like to just stick with European agents as opposed to North American ones, just, you know, for the familiarity and something from back home. And if so, when did that start to change? And they come to North America. I
2: think it changed. I think uh, a lot of agencies got over there early Uh and got players, but I think when the guys came came over here, they started, they, they, they would change, you know, I think there was, there was more changing of uh, with the Europeans in particular, there was more jumping around, I think. Early on, uh, I wasn't the first agent that uh, Michael Hanzus or Zidane Chara had. Um, right. They made the decision they wanted to change, and uh, I was fortunate enough for them to pick me. Um, I had a little bit of an in because I'd worked in St. Louis with Peter Stastny, mm-hmm. um, the Hall of Fame player, and Peter and I are great friends. Uh, Pierre and I have talked about that in yeah. the past, and uh, I think that led me obviously to uh, – Pavel Dimitra, and a lot of Slovak players, uh, including Paul Stastny, who just retired recently, who yeah. had a school
1: career.
0: What a uh, career. Yeah. Uh, what, a you
1: know. cool guy what a nice guy. Yeah. So, Good stuff. Yeah. I, hey, Jimmy,
0: I know one player. He's He didn't make bring it up. Ladislav Nagy. <laughs> uh, Matt was representing yeah. him. And I remember Matt told me a story once that, I think he was actually shipping a car over from overseas and he put his equipment in the car and the car, something happened on the boat and the car didn't make it with the equipment or something. Yeah, the car
2: didn't make it with the equipment. Poor laddie was sitting there. What, what am I going to do? Because he couldn't play without his elbow pads that he had. <laughs> support, you know, he, he couldn't do it. So, um, you know, but the, the uh, Europeans, I, I got, a, I did a lot with Slovakia and Czech for a long time. And then I got out of that. And I kind of, in the last six or seven years, I've partnered with a group over in Stockholm, Win Hockey Agency. And yes. uh, I've stole their name, so I'm now Win Hockey also. Uh, and I've gotten back into Europe, and it's been a lot of fun for me because we've gotten a lot of good young players like Leo Carlson and Emil Henneman, who's coming up in the uh, um, Montreal system and some others. So, you know, that's been kind of fun for me, you know, as, as, as my business has evolved here. So
0: You know, Bruins fans will remember the name Peter Stastny, especially from his days with the Quebec Northeast when it was such a big rivalry, Matt. I know how tight you are with him. It's kind of like my relationship with Scotty Bowman. Tell us about Peter. I know Peter, but the fans don't know Peter. Tell us about Peter Stastny. So Peter was like, I'd say, the the Wayne
2: Gretzky of Europe, Uh, you know, back in the uh, 80s, if you will. He was a great, great player. He didn't come over here until he was 24 years old. Uh, Peter is just all character, intensity and character. And he's got a way about him that's like uh, very intense, but yet very funny. And mm-hmm. people are kind of drawn to him. And his teammates were drawn to him. He was one of them. He's the smartest hockey guy, one of the most smartest hockey men I've ever met and spent time with. He is a consummate pro. And um, if you go back to old highlights of him uh, ripping apart the Bruins and others, he really is phenomenal uh, to watch. Yeah, but play. he's even a better hockey person and, and character. And it, it shows in his sons, Jan and Paul, as they came in, played in the NHL, uh, Paul, for many years. You know, Mm -hmm. in terms of it, I learned so much from him about how to look at a player, the eye test. Okay, yes. And I remember I remember calling him uh, Paul's draft year and I said, Peter, they're really worried about Paul's feet. You know, people are worried about his skating. And he goes, Matt, skating doesn't matter as much because he's got hands. He's got hockey sense and he has heart. The Mm -hmm. three H's. And he goes, you can always work on your skating. He goes, yep. you can't take away the three H's. And he's absolutely right. And uh, you know, I look at players now, and I always think I think of that. And um, the number one thing in the eye test for me is is hockey sense. You yeah, know, it, it shows in the guy. You know, Adam Fox. You know, hockey. Yep. Sense. So you know, for me as a scout, and then eventually I learned that from guys like Peter and Ron. Caron was the same way, and you know, you apply that, and you know, I've I've grown my business basically on player identification. You know, mm-hmm. tests, the eye test, the yeah. ability to, to pick out players yeah. not, not only for on the ice but off the ice, judging yeah. their parents, judging their their habits, mm-hmm.
1: their process
2: to get better. You know, um, I've got a guy who works for me now, uh, former uh, NHLer Ian Moran, Draft yeah.
0: Pittsburgh Penguins, Jimmy, just so you know. Oh, I, know oh, I know Mo
1: well. I know with Ian very Pierre well. Yes, I knew exactly. that, we I knew Pierre. Hilarious. I knew Pierre would take a bow. And, you know, and where did he go to high school? Pierre, I know. Belmont Hill, right there. He went to yeah, Belmont, Belmont Hill,
2: BC for two years and then yeah. onward. Um anyway, Ian's ah, I love the guy. He's one he's of the so funniest, great greatest oh. person to yeah. deal with. Uh but he's he's got the eye for, for talent. And yep. One of the things Ian does, we're just texting about it today, he'll go and sit in the parking lot and watch how players interact with their teammates. How do they prepare for wow. the game? How do they, you know, do they come early? You know, what do they do away when people aren't on the ice? What are you doing to get better? How are you getting along? He says you learn so much about a player off the ice than you do on mm-hmm. the ice. So a lot of what we do as agents is we don't eat unless we find the right players. So it's all this talent identification comes in to be able to read players and parents and, and can a kid make it? Cause we have to, we have to divvy up our time. We have to invest time and energy into every player, time, energy, and money into every relationship that we do. We only have so many hours in the day. And, um, we have to be able to trust that a player is going to do everything possible to maximize his talents Mm -hmm. because that's, that's what we want. Just like the player has to trust that we're going to work hard for him. It goes, it goes both ways. And I think that, you know, for us, for Ian and I, it's so much of it. And Ian does player development work, scouting, everything. So much of it is the eye test and, and picking the right players and being able to project where they are and, you know, we were talking how I scouted for eight years, and then i I've been the last twenty six years as a uh, as an agent. And um, I wasn't going to do the agent business very long. I, I kind of didn't like agents, Pierre, when I got into it
1: because I'd been mm-hmm.
2: on the team side and right. And the team side, you don't like the agents because God, you know <laughs> what what they do to I these
0: players. Nice you. You know? I always, like I was always nice to you.
2: Yeah, you were always nice to me. I was okay
0: with him. Yeah.
2: Uh, just because I went to Trinity and you knew Coach Dunn so. um, But uh, I got
0: into it. I
2: got, I got into it and it just checked a lot of boxes in terms of scouting, player development, which I was doing already. And mm-hmm. it's just it, I've just really enjoyed being able to manage my own time. You know, yep. when I was scouting, I was 27 of 29, 28 days on the road. My wife's at home with a little baby, and I'm like, "What am I doing?" Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. it does pay a little better. But
1: uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's for for me. A lot of that base eye test is what runs my business, and has been why I've been able to do okay in it.
1: Great stuff. But before I know, Pierre wants to do a little quick hit uh, stuff with you here. But before he does, I just want to ask you one question. So. I'm sure you heard uh, Justin Brazier, the player that came up for the Bruins yesterday, plays his first NHL game at age 26. And, you know, it's a great story. He's worked his way up, did two stints in the E, spent time in the A. obviously was not drafted. Have you had players like that, coach, that you stuck with, even though, you know, at every turn it seemed like he wasn't getting his break or it just wasn't going to break, it wasn't going to get him to the next level, but you stuck with him and he finally made it. And what's that like when that happens?
2: All right. I have a two examples for you. Just came pop right into my head. Okay. Um, you know, first of all, it shows you that the draft doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? This is a journey, not a race. Yep. So if, if a player doesn't get drafted, don't worry. It's not the end of the world. You know, I, I think the parents and the player want that external gratification of being drafted. They want to be able to post it on Insta and say, thank you. St. Yep. Louis blues for drafting me or whatever in the end it doesn't matter where you are at age 18 doesn't worry worry me at all it's where you are at age 21 22 23 and 24 to earn that contract okay Mm -hmm. that's what means the most i'll give you two examples one is nate schmidt okay Okay. nate was with a big corporate firm who took him on and i basically he didn't get drafted so they stopped calling him and i had a friend in minnesota call me and say hey I've got this kid Nate Schmidt. I knew who he was. I'd been out there. I'd seen him play. Mm -hmm. Great skater. Tons of energy. Just kind of needed to re, kind of focus maturity into his game and settle things down a little bit. Okay, you know, in his mind and in his game and refine it. And I was fortunate enough to start working with Nate, and I was fortunate enough just to sit back and just watch this media, you know, meteoric rise. Uh, and next thing I know, Nate Schmidt signing an NHL contract and he's playing with Washington and eventually gets picked up and on the expansion draft goes to Vegas. Now, Nate Schmidt makes $6 million a year. Yeah. Okay. And he's gone from not being drafted to getting a six year times six, almost $6 million contract, almost 35, $36 million contract. And he wasn't drafted. Another example is a guy that Pierre knows very well, Marshall Rafai. Yeah, We just talking about him. He was five foot seven. When I first met him, my my cousin, the great Mark Knapp, coached him at Hotchkiss. And that's how I got to know him. He's five foot seven or eight. I'm like little guy. And then he shows up on Harvard's campus and he's like six one at the time growing and growing. And Marshall just stuck with the process. That kid works so hard to get better every day. And at age 18, you wouldn't have taken him. But at age 24, he just made his NHL debut with uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Marshall has now refined his game. He's learned that less is more. He's learned to be physical. And he learned to play to an identity. If I mm-hmm. was to tell young kids one thing, learn to play to, with an identity, okay? Because that's what's going to get you there.
1: English yourself, yeah. And it's
2: all about details. Nate Schmidt... And Marshall Rafai needed that extra time to learn details. Okay. Jimmy, there's another kid that Pierre never talks about. His name's Ryan McGuire. Okay. He plays at Colgate. Now, Ryan was probably about 5'10 when he was at Belmont Hill. And he's a little toe dragger. Didn't quite know his identity. Now he's six foot two. Now he is an identity of, phys- of two-way strong physical play. And has an identity where he he can change the course of a hockey game with either physicality or his brain. That's a late bloomer. To keep an eye on him. I know Pierre doesn't like talking about his kids, so I had to throw that out there.
0: So. <laughs> Thanks. So now we're going to do the eye test, but we're going to do it. Oh, it. right away. I love it. <laughs> you're you're smart and you get it. So I'm going to ask some questions, rapid fire, man. Okay, rapid fire. Guy from Trinity's going to figure this out. Hardest working player you ever represented.
2: Hardest working player I've ever represented. That's kind of an easy one, honestly. Um, and that's Zidane Chara. Yeah. Uh, like, first time I met him, he called my house and said, uh, Matt, I'm looking for an agent. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> my God, When are you, are you available for lunch tomorrow? <laughs> so I drove down and met with him. And I, I, what struck me right away is he was going to do whatever it took to maximize what to, what ability he had. He was going to max it out. And I, I've used him as an example with all of my long term guys. So I got to give an honorable mention to this category to Blake Wheeler, Paul Stastny, and Chris Kreider because they all have learned from him. Yeah. He's like the template. Uh, like when he was in Ottawa, he was working out three times a day. Mm. Crazy. Still does. You know, mm-hmm. it's amazing.
0: So he's the hardest working player. Who's the toughest player? And he you can't say Chara.
2: I can't say Chara, but honestly, if you were to go pound for pound, it would be Carnett Hathaway from the great state of Maine. Oh yeah, because Carney nice. has done. If you would seen this kid in high school, I didn't play want to with work Chris with him. play so, andover Play with yeah, Cryer, andover. No, Chris Kreider told me he's like Matt. I'm not going to work with you unless you work with my friend Garnet. I'm like, all, right, <laughs> all right, I'll take it's him. Loyalty. That's all a right. I'll one. take him, but he is he is tough, and and I you know. And I'm not talking about fighting. I'm talking about yeah. winning battles Grit. every Grit.
0: day. Grit. I'm the fastest player that's in the Cater Club. The Cater Club. I like that. That's a good Crider.
2: one. Uh, the fastest player is, it has to be Kreider because yeah. of his breakaway speed. And you see him jumping out of pools. But honestly, Pierre, like a lot of it has to do with genetics because his parents were both great athletes, especially the mom. I have to say mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, But it really – he's worked at it so hard, you know. He really has. So I think that – but I'm going to give an honorable mention to a guy. Uh, Ryan Leonard's brother I represent, from B. Ryan from BC's brother, John Leonard, is the fastest player I've seen in the American League. I I was down in Tucson and I watched him a few weeks ago. So I give John Leonard an honorable mention.
0: Yeah, he just scored a goal the other night, I think, as a matter of fact. Who's the smartest player in the Cater Club? I mean,
2: honestly, that's kind of – that's pretty easy in terms of, like, Adam Fox. Um, <laughs> I've, ne- I've never seen a guy stick handle around somebody without, without moving his feet. And he does that with just right. head fakes, which is smart. but <laughs> also looking cool. players off and moving it. I mean, you go to that uh, – the goalie set up in, in overtime in the stadium game, like that's all Foxy. And he he is so smart. He's amazing to watch.
0: Best undrafted player in the Cater Club.
2: Best undrafted player probably would have to be Nate Schmidt. know, yeah. We'll have yeah. to give Nate that. But Marshall's coming. Marshall Rafai is coming.
1: Yeah. You know,
2: um, I've had other ones like Andre Sustri who played 400 games. He oh, was yeah. undrafted. Yeah. So many guys don't get drafted and become players.
0: Who's the most undervalued, skilled player you ever represented?
2: Michael Hanzoos. <laughs> the Zeus. Big the Zeus. Jimmy. I didn't hesitate too much on that one because no. he's quiet, he's subtle, and he he does little things really well. His details, his details are phenomenal. Like I, I drafted him with St. Louis, myself and our staff, we drafted him because you when you look at European players, you want to see how do they translate from Europe to over here? And I thought his game would translate because he comes down so low in the defensive zone and and he's so the ability to uh, influence the game in the defensive end is what makes him so good because he's able to obtain the puck and force the play, drive the play back the other way. It's all subtle stuff. Um, Leo Carlson, another one of my clients out in Anaheim, he has that same feel to him also, but he's got more offensive. But Michael Hanzus was very undervalued, I think.
0: Most skilled player you ever represented.
2: I mean, I mean, honestly, it's, it's gotta be Pavel Dimitra. Like that, that mix of like athleticism and, and talent and skill would have to be Pavel. He was kind of after Peter Stastny, he was one of the the next wave of the Gretzky in Europe's, if you will, Mm -hmm. you know um, whose life ended way too soon. Yeah. I remember three weeks before that that plane went down. I was in Riga, Latvia, with Pavel, seeing him, oh, and wow. I was I went out for a night with the, that whole entire team. I it's uh,
1: oh. anyway
2: I got to, they're all wonderful people, and uh, but Pavel's very special. But I think that's Pavel.
0: Yeah, I had the privilege of coaching Pavel, and the day that happened, two of my former players were on that plane: Brad McCrimmon and Pavel, and just. To this awesome. day, I still think about it. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Most underrated player in the Cater Club. Most underrated. Most
2: underrated player. <laughs> now you're getting me to really work here, Pierre. You know, <laughs> I mean, the, the underrated of the of the current guys. I uh, you mean in terms of like what he does for his team and everything? Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: I, I would. I would have to. I would have to almost go back to Hathaway again. You yeah. know. You know, one of the reasons why we put him in Philly, he was born to be a Bruin. Don't get me wrong, Jimmy. He was born to be a Bruin, (laughs) but he was also born to be a flyer. And, you know, when a player's a free agent, you try to match a player up with the culture of the organization and kind of where he's going to fit, you know. And uh, I'm going to give another honorable mention to Ryan Donato because Ryan Donato has crafted out a very good NHL career in my mind, because he's figured out that, you know, he's not going to maybe not score 50 goals, but he's going to play on all four lines. And Ryan Donato is so undervalued on every team because of what he brings off the ice also. There's a reason why Ron Francis had uh, Ryan Donato house uh, Shane Wright when he was in the NHL last year, because it shows to Ryan's character, which he gets from his parents, obviously, Teddy and Janine.
0: What, what's amazing about Ryan Donato, Jimmy, i got to tell you this. If you go look at his stats almost every year, it's 12 to 17 goals. Right? Is, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's unbelievably consistent. Yeah. And he's is, not always on real good teams. His like, goal, goals per 60 minutes played is like through the roof at times. It's crazy. I'm just it's, telling you, like I don't have those stats, but I'm telling you, like I know the hard number. The hard number like 12 to 17 every year.
1: It's crazy. Yeah. He's not on good teams. You know, and I'm so, hearing he's like, I mean, Bedard. From what I've heard, has taken a real liking to him. He's doing a good job with a lot of young guys there in Chicago. So he's a hard
0: guy not to like, right, Matt? Like he's yeah, just yeah, he's, he's, he's phenomenal. phenomenal, he's like. I phenomenal. Would say
1: another guy too, guys. Before we move on from that, Alex Kalorn.
2: Oh, that's I mean, that's yeah. that's another one. Now he's Alex will be mad at me for not bringing his name up sooner, but um, yeah, killer, <laughs> I get yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kill, kill, killer, uh, killer's an interesting kid. He I got to know him you know I didn't really know him at Deerfield I Mm -hmm. and I met his mom at a game and I said to the mother um she asked me a question she she goes does he need to go play junior hockey I said no he doesn't he can do his senior year at Deerfield because he's that good yeah if you're good enough it will happen the next year he went to Harvard and he called me up he goes my name's Alex Kaloran. I go what are you doing for lunch tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) and i went and met him and i've been with him ever since but he's very undervalued he's another guy who's you know you see you see tampa bay struggling a little bit this year guess what his effect on and off the ice is tremendous but that's why pat verbeek in my mind underpaid for him because i think i always should have gotten more but um you Know Alex in, in Anaheim has done a great job with the young players there, yeah. that's why yeah.
0: they'll, pay more.
2: they'll pay more for the character and what they bring off the ice. He's done a great job with my guy Leo Carlson there.
0: Yep, uh, who's the best hockey dad you've ever dealt with?
1: Pierre Maguire, <laughs> <laughs> Be determined. they determined.
0: Um, They're not gonna say that,
1: yeah. <laughs> So the, the
2: template I, I, I use is I think who are the worst ones to deal with? The worst ones to deal with are the control guys who want to control every asset of their life. We mm-hmm. talked about that earlier. The best hockey dads sit back and empower their, their kids and let them run, run the show. And I'd have to say it's a tie between uh, Blake Wheeler's father, Jim Wheeler, who's an mm-hmm. absolutely tremendous um, person and who's allowed Blake to become the man that he is, yeah. And and Bruce Fox, uh, Adam's dad, who through this whole process of potential free agency to his contract negotiation, never got involved, but yet was keeping an eye on it, but never got involved and, and really let us do our work. And, yeah. you know, these guys, he's both parents kind of have allowed their uh, son to develop as a player and a person. On you know on their own. I have an on, uh, my honorable mention is probably going to be uh, John Leonard's uh, father, John Leonard, who played basketball and coached basketball, so he understands sports and he understands that there's going to be ups and downs and understands that there's adversity. And the best parents are the ones who understand that when adversity hits, it's not the worst thing in the world. No, it's okay to go through adversity. Yeah. You know, don't try to fix everything. Let a kid work through it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the best dads are, are are those are those, those ones in particular.
0: I love the way you did that. That was great. So I have to ask you, can you break some news for us? Because I really like Blake Wheeler. You know I've known him a long time. Yeah. How's he doing? Horrific injury. Can you yeah. break any news for us on where he's at?
2: Yeah, he, he had um he had surgery this week. Uh, I actually talked to him this morning. Uh he he's not giving up like he wants to come back and play, try to play in the playoffs. He's going to work his butt off to be there for the guys. I got text messages from, you know, Chris Drury and Adam Fox and Chris Kreider afterwards. Not, not about him as a player, but him as a person, not being there every day, you know, and uh, I think he will be there a lot. And I think he's going to work hard to come back. He's 37. But he's an elite athlete, and I, I think this—I think he's going to come back and play and help them. I hope
0: he's great. Yeah, great, great, great news! Thank you so much. You know what, Jimmy? I got to say, for a Trinity Bantam, he handled himself well. His coach John Dunham would be very proud of him right now. Which well team? done, huh?
2: Yeah, we're still on a group chat with all my uh, teammates right now. It's quite amusing oh, retelling awesome. Coach Dunham
0: stories. That's so. good. They just can't beat the Hobart Statesman. That's a problem for them. I know that.
2: Is a, uh is that a junior college? Or is it a four-year
1: institution?
0: They're defending national champs.
1: <laughs> That's neat guys. So. Yeah, but you bring in those UMass guys too. I like all the talk about Leonard. There yeah, we go. You know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, it's it, it's, uh, it's fun.
2: The, the interesting thing too, somebody asked me. They're like, like, why do you why do you only deal with U- U.S. college kids? You know, and. I've kind of just found a niche here in college, you know, Uh a lot of what we're talking about, you know, it it really helps for kids to be more mature when they turn pro. And I think having these kids go to college and, and evolving as players and people, you know, uh, makes the adjustment better. Cause when you turn pro at 22, 23 is a hell of a lot easier than 18, 19 and 20. Now there's, there are the, 18 year olds that can play in this league, you know, that are just outliers, but, you know, I like the patient approach and, you know, of college uh, yeah, hockey, because yeah. we were just talking about Trinity and others. And, you know, I think college hockey is doing nothing but growing and it's getting better and better. So, Speaking of
1: quickly too, uh, one of the things we've been talking about a lot lately in the past couple of weeks, Matt, is the potential of CHL players eventually being able to Transfer down and play for college hockey teams. How do, how will that affect your job as an NHL agent?
2: I don't like it. I, I like the ecosystem the way it is. You mm-hmm. know,
1: I think if players, well, the second use, person to tell us that, what so, what's that? You're the second
2: person to tell. It's yeah, the I, I just yeah. I've talked to a lot of the Division One coaches. Uh, you're basically going from, you know, you're you're going hundred. You're going seventy five percent more people eligible, mm-hmm. basically. You know, uh, because you're adding three leagues in Canada on top of USHL and BCHL, and then you're allowing European players. So I've got players playing in the SHL right now, and they could play one or two years pro, yeah. and then come over and play college. And I, I, I don't, I don't like what it's going to do long term to to everything. You know, I, yeah. I, I think the values of the cool. NCA have turned to pro. It's become pro now, and I I just don't like it. I don't like the transfer portal um, as much. I like I like the players having the freedom. Like I get that, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I don't like uh, I like guys to stay loyal to schools. I think that that's important. Uh, Then in terms of the nil money and everything, I I I, I don't like it. You know, I, I think players get distracted by that. Let's focus on playing be you on on Sunday, on Saturday and Friday nights, rather than am I getting $500 from a pizza place around the corner, you know, yeah. and comparing what I get to what other teammates get or anyone else. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on what's, what's most important, which is getting better as a player and a
1: person when you're in college. Well said, well said. I'd have to agree. Yeah. So, and I, I guess Pierre, uh, you've one question I would like if the quick hitter there would have been, Who's the toughest GM to deal with, or the oh, It Doesn't I have to be now; it could be the past. I don't want to
0: put him in a bad spot, Jimmy. He's <laughs> I like that's, that.
1: that's
2: okay; I can yeah. handle that. No, yeah. oh, I will. Okay. So uh, I'll take it the other way. The best GMs. The th- let's do it that way. That yeah, the better. best. And then I'll go to the worst. The best <laughs> GMs. The best GMs to deal with, I think, are the most the ones who are fearless, the most secure in their jobs. They're easy. They're easy going. They're easier to deal with. A lot of these far, former Hall of Fame guys, you know, that I've dealt with, like Joe Sackick, Iserman, obviously everyone has a man crush on Stevie Y. You know, Ron <laughs> Francis, they're just easier because they don't really need their jobs. Like they can go do other things. They're, they've right. already done a lot. So they're easier to deal with because they're fearless. They're more comfortable in their own skin. And they're just easier to deal with. The harder ones are the insecure GMs who are – Scared for their jobs, and they're jamming deals down your throat, or they're, you know, they're mm-hmm. they're nervous all the time, and you know, those are the harder ones I feel to deal with. I can't really name of one. Course, of no names, no, no, I don't. Yeah, I'll either. give Slats a shout out because he, like Glenn Sather, would be happy to know he was the toughest sob to deal with. Okay, yeah. that's a badge of honor for that for Slats. So he, I'll I'll
1: shout him out. You know, I was gonna, so, I would think though that. There's a mutual respect though. No matter how hard a GM is, I mean, I would think, you know, you guys over time would form mutual respect. Yeah, yeah. I think you do because
2: it's repeat business. You're doing business yeah. constantly and you try you don't blow you can't blow one relationship out of the water over over one player. Although exactly. I tried very hard uh, with Fox, I, I guess.
0: Say, Whoa, I've seen a couple where there's been some problems. Yeah, but but
2: that's okay. We're all okay now. You know, <laughs> yeah. because everything was communicated, but no, I, I think it's, uh, um, it, it, we all know each other. Like yeah. if you go to the NHL draft, okay. Oh yeah. You, you've got all the agents, all the, all the uh, GMs, all the scouts are all sitting in one arena. The yep. only thing that changes every year are the players and the parents go through. Yeah. Right. The media is even the same every year. Yeah. So it's like groundhogs day for us, but so we <laughs> all know each other. So there's probably 300 decision makers that run all of these teams, including the agents and everyone else, the top agents. So, you know, it, it's, it's a little community that we deal with and it's yeah. pretty small in the end. Wouldn't you agree,
0: Pierre? I would, I would completely agree. That that was really well said. Um, you know, the one thing I'd say is I, I tried to do a couple deals with, with Matt. One, we were, we did a deal on on Adam Godet, just getting Adam in, and he played really well for us. And yes. he's ripping it up in the American Hockey League right now in Springfield, mm-hmm. part of St. Louis Blues organization. And darn it, he just wouldn't deliver that. Darn it, he wouldn't. I won't even say I don't want to get mad. But there was a guy named Marshall Refai that played his first NHL game, and he just wouldn't get the deal done with us.
2: No, we wouldn't. Couldn't do it. Still mad for yeah, that <laughs> couldn't do it he'd be playing for ottawa right now too you know
0: you know how hard i tried to get that i know yeah. you did
2: yeah marsh is uh like i said he's a special guy so it's uh, funny you know when pierre when you were uh when you were scouting and the eye test how much did character mean to you
0: a ton it was probably the most important thing especially back in and the league's changed a lot in terms of the way that the league is played and you think about it with the red line and you go into the odd Buffalo, or you go into the stadium in Chicago, or you go into the Forum in Montreal, you go into Maple Leaf Gardens, you go into, you know, Chicago Stadium, you go into the Boston Garden, you had to have tough guys. And character mattered. It mattered yep. the time. I mean, people laughed at us. I'll never forget this. And, and, Matt, you were working in the league prominently then. When we traded Paul Coffey and Mark Recchi to Philadelphia for Shell Sanderson and Rick Talkin and Kenny Reggett, people thought we were nuts. They did, but we, you know, we were trading away two future Hall of Famers for two guys that would never, three guys that would never be in the Hall of Fame. But we needed Rick's t- toughness, we needed Shell's crazy toughness on the back end, and we needed Regit to back up uh, Barrasso because we had traded Frank Pietrangelo. So you know, it was one of those deals where everybody looks at it and it doesn't pass the smell test. But I'll tell you one thing, it passed the eye test. Yeah. It really did. So a lot. it's interesting. A lot.
2: I had this conversation the other day with a uh, New York reporter. We were talking about uh, Neil Smith, and Neil did a similar type of deals, right? Yeah, in and around the deadline. But back then, you could do those deals because mm-hmm. there was no salary cap. Yeah. Nowadays, you can't do that because it, it, dollars and dollars have to match up, yeah. and these draft yeah. are so valuable. You know, and every. You know, when we're negotiating contracts, it's turf warfare. Like, like these teams are fighting over every hundred thousand dollars. Like, my my players will look at me and go, "What do you mean they won't give give us an extra two fifty? I go, "You don't understand. Yeah, they're fighting every fifty grand,
1: hundred yeah. grand, every dime." Look at how much shuffling players are yeah. doing down from the A, like nonstop. You know? I,
2: I've I've, been, I've done so many arbitration cases where we get to Toronto, Pierre. And we're fighting over an extra 50 or hundred grand. Wow. At the yes. door. At yeah. the door. Nobody
0: yeah. really wants to go. That's the biggest thing. And Matt could tell you. Nobody really wants to go to arbitration. They want to no, go. No.
2: No, but we're outside the door. I'm with Brandon Montour. And you know, Monty's like, we're there. And Monty's like, we're fighting over whether whether it's going to be 50 or 150 more or something. And Bob Murray's holding, holding, holding the line. And Monty's looking at me going, what are we doing here? I go, Brandon, it's every dollar counts, you know? And and that's, but that's why sometimes you got to be like, a lot of these negotiations, preparation, patience. You have to learn patience. And, you know, a lot of what my job is preparing the player and the parents to go through it, but mostly the player to go through it and learning that patience Mm -hmm. and, and learning that it takes, these conversations take place over like months. Yep. You know, and it's like chipping away. And it's not like all of a sudden, boom, the deal's done. You know, mm-hmm. it, especially in the arbitration process. Because uh, the collective bargaining agreement, there's different stages. There's different leverage points. You know, and that's really what we're learning. We, you know, right. we teach the player. There's different leverage points at different spots. And it's based on your performance and where you are in the CBA. Mm-hmm. Are you a... You know, entry level contract. Are you a, a player with arbitration rights? Uh, are you a player with no arbitration rights? How many years are you to free agency? Okay, if you're one year from free agency, they might pay a premium and give you more money to buy out years of free agency. Yep, they don't want to walk you right to free agent. Free agency. Yeah. The only team that I, the only deal I've had where a player got walked right to free agency was Ron Hainsey. Who we oh, haven't yeah. talked about? <laughs> yeah. You know, you haven't asked me who my funniest client was. <laughs> just yeah. gave it
0: away. Has to be It
2: Has to be yeah. Hainsy. He's the yeah. most charismatic. I think his his humor comes from how you know charismatic he is, and how people just want to follow Ronnie. Um, yeah. You know, all the way along. But uh, yeah, Columbus marched us right to right to free agency, and and Ronnie was able to max max that out because he played well. So you mm-hmm. have to play well. In order to uh, and produce in order to get that so
0: hey sure. jimmy you know I, you know i matt brought up brandon montour it's for you umass amherst um, just yeah. you I wanted, know. did it brought oh, it up for you
2: look at so it Jimmy. i went to uh i i, not, I went to trinity and uh-huh. i also did the umass sport management program oh wow yep awesome. and got out of there in 94 and uh yeah. the great ron karan let me I uh, do a couple of years of grad work while I was, while I was scouting full-time.
1: Oh, nice.
2: And one of my theses is, or whatever it's called, uh, when I was at the UMass sport management program, my big papers, I guess they called maybe not thesis, was <laughs> I developed a plan to bring the world junior hockey championships to Boston. I read about that. Yep. And that was in 97 when That's we, right. and we actually did it. So we took yep. that plan that I put together and me and another guy, we, we did it and we brought the world juniors. I really wish USA hockey would bring the world juniors to Boston again. Uh, yeah. We didn't have that back then. We didn't have a, um uh the NHL network uh, to educate everyone exactly what the world juniors was. Right. You know, So nobody back then really knew we had to educate them. It was hard. It was a hard sell. Yes. We did well around Boston, but you know, when we had it, some teams, our, the Mullins too, right? Yeah. Mullins, but those, that didn't work. No, was, yeah, But I think now if they were to do it in just in Boston area, I think it would be phenomenal for the uh, – And think about all
1: the college rinks now that are so state-of-the-art around here too, yeah. you know, modernized. Yeah. And yeah. Was, yeah, no,
2: I it, think it would be phenomenal. Bear, what be do you great. think of that? you think Boston I think could score
0: Yeah, no, I think Boston would be great. Awesome. I, I, Sunday I was at the uh, UMass BC game. There were 7,000 people at Connie Forum at oh, uh, the Boston Kelly rink. You could go to Aganis. You could go to Matthews. You could play the gold medal game at uh, TD Bank. I mean, there would be a home I think it would be a home run here. Look, I was part yeah. of the World Junior for a long time on the broadcast side. And, um, you know, the ratings used to be 500,000 people for games. And then all of a sudden in Halifax in 2003, it went to 2.9 million viewers. And it took off from all 3 you know, yeah. and, and if you look at the players that were part of it, guys like Ovechkin, guys like Malkin, guys like Mike Richards, Ryan Getzler, you go down the line of all the great players and we started selling them. And then I think the one that really grew the World Junior was the 05. The 05 World Junior, because there was no NHL, all the best players were around the world that weren't playing in the NHL. They were playing in the World Junior. Yeah.
2: So they so they were playing in the World Juniors, right? In that 05 World Juniors. And then they were all playing in the American League. I remember going I remember going down and watching Bergeron. Providence, in Providence. Playing the, yeah. the Philadelphia Phantoms.
0: Carter and, they, and Richards.
2: Carter and Richards played against
1: Bergeron and who? Oh, I've it was it uh but Berge, was, Berge wasn't was, there yet, was he? No, that was before Kessel.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I remember going I had clients in
2: the game. It was phenomenal. Like hockey, right. you know, but let's not do lockouts anymore. Like no, uh, no more lockouts and One- I do think the NHLPA is on a great path with Marty Walsh. And is I mentioned Ron, I mentioned yeah. Ron Hainsey, who's uh you know, my entertaining client of years. He's now the number two guy there, uh, helping Marty Walsh. And I think they've done a phenomenal job. They're off to a great start communicating with the players the right way, communicating their vision. And I think hopefully we can avoid a lockout, but get a fair deal for both sides. And They've done a great job so far. Uh, So keep an eye on on Marty Walsh and Ron Hansey. Well, Pierre and I were just talking
0: about them uh, yesterday. Before you came on. By the way, Matt, you've done a great job. This has been awesome. We appreciate you so much coming on. Thanks. And look, I'm like Victor Kyam, the old owner of the New England Patriots. (laughs) I like the product so much, I bought it. So (laughs) I actually have entrusted the welfare of my son to Matt Cater. You so go. that's how much I like the product.
2: We'll be we'll be watching him. He's a yeah. uh, he's a hard nosed kid. Yeah. Uh, listen, guys, I've really enjoyed the uh, listening to your podcast. It's so informative. Thank you. Yep it's a, it's a, yeah. it's really a lot of fun. I think your live show is going to be electric. Electric. Mm-hmm. Notice how I use that that word. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and if I could somehow get up there, I would just to heckle Pierre. And um, two Boston guys in Montreal. That's pr- well, Pierre's Montreal, though.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Adopted. Come on, Matt, I would promise you lodging at my home in the northern part of Quebec. It would be a privilege to host you.
2: There you go. Yeah, I could only sense. do it. I, I, I could only do it if I could. Uh, actually, I love going to Montreal. Did you we'll guys go what? up? On-
0: you know what we'll do? We'll go watch a Laval Rocket game first. Yeah. so You can see your boy Hanneman. Hanneman. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then we'll go hang out at my house, and then we'll go down and do the show. Yeah, I'll tell yeah. you
2: that the best weekend ever was uh, the All Star game in twenty
1: ten or eleven. In yeah, Montreal. it was a little
0: crazy. Yeah. It was a little
1: was crazy. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, Edkin had a good a good time at that one. I'll just yes, yes, he did. I was on the
2: plane <laughs> home with him, and he was <laughs> oh. he showed up still going.
1: Yeah, did it smell like the back of Hurley's Irish Pub? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. <laughs> It was
2: great. Big Z was on the flight with us, Tim Thomas, uh, and a
1: bunch of guys.
2: That was so, fun. That was yeah. good. Anyway,
1: the drafts and all that, we got to do a show at the draft here. So maybe there we'll get you as well, Matt. Well, you know you'll be in Vegas, right?
2: Yeah, Vegas. I, I will be in Vegas. I'm very disappointed, honestly, with the NHL and, and, and with all these managers that don't want to do in person drafts I,
1: anymore. I'm so bummed. I, I my, think it's so wrong. Here. I, oh, I, I think it
0: breaks my so, heart.
1: Yeah, it's, you know what?
0: After the Stanley Cup is awarded, the most important day on the NHL calendar is the National Hockey League draft. It really it is. is. I'm just telling you.
1: It, it. And it's such a great community. Like you were just saying, we see all the same agents, the GM, we see all the same people every year, and everybody gets together in one place. And it's
2: I, I think the team I like the school. teams are saying we want to save money. You know what? Then don't bring so many people, yeah. go to smaller draft tables, but yeah.
1: do do have bring the bring the industry together? You yeah. Know? Anyway, that's Just been on the my mind. Going too, right? I mean, with the way the league has made so much progress with the public and and you know everything that's going on where it is, it's I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy,
0: we gotta let Matt go so you can yeah, get to. Go. We gotta let him go because we got a couple things to close out here before we go.
2: Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, listen, I really enjoyed talking to you guys, and uh, you know, hopefully, I can come back sometime. You you. Welcome back
0: anytime. time. I'll talk to you uh, tomorrow. We'll be in charge. Thank all, you. Right. all right.
1: Bye. Agent Matt Cater, join us here on the eye test on the sick podcast network, man, Pierre. I think he wants to keep going for another hour.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it first he he started started out, no, he started out the right way. He was a scout and the guys that trained him, Teddy Hampson, well, the late daddy Janelle, uh, the late Jack Evans, phenomenal hockey men, knew them all very, very well. Um, Ronnie Curran was amazing, amazing guy, passionate beyond belief. And Matt was lucky. He got a Ph.D. in hockey from four legendary guys. Just to show you, Patty Janelle and Teddy Hampson played for the Flint Flon Bombers when they won the Memorial Cup. Yeah,
1: we were talking about them earlier and this year. they
0: were promised if they won the Memorial Cup by the mining company that controlled Flint Flon, they were promised jobs for life in the mines. Back then it was only a six-team NHL. Then it expanded, obviously, and Teddy was part of one of the expansion teams with the California Golden Seals when they wore the white skates back in '67. Yeah, but but that those were real hockey men, you know. Yeah. I, I'd go on the road with those I as a kid. I was like 27 or 28. You go on the road with those kids and or those guys, and I was the kid. And they would say, um, "What time's breakfast tomorrow?" And you'd go find out what time the kitchen was. Like you were running for them because you respected them so much. They were larger in life, and they give you little secrets about the scouting profession. Phenomenal. That doesn't yeah. happen anymore. Guys no. don't even talk to one another, you know? It's just crazy. But, anyways, uh, he got a PhD in hockey from some legendary people in St. Louis. And
1: yeah. that's
0: what I like about Matt, because he he has street knowledge from having been a scout. He was a very good player at Trinity, played professionally in Sweden. So he's got a feel for it all. And I, you know, I kind of walked in those shoes, not the yeah. agent's. But all the other stuff, and um, I really respect people that go through that.
1: You would have been a good agent, Pierre. I could, I could have seen it. <laughs> 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 I have patience with you, Jimmy.
0: I have tons of patience with you because we have fun together. I don't have the patience to do that. I might, and you never know. <laughs> I told you one story today. I won't tell you. We're not going to say the yeah. name, but no. yeah. I think there'd be more fistfights if I had been an agent. It wouldn't have been good. <laughs> All right,
1: should we open up for a few questions? We
0: have to. We definitely have to because I know the guys get going in Montreal too. But we'll get going here. We'll go.
1: All right, we'll do it quick. They have to get off. Let's just do two, three questions. Three questions here, guys. Oh, no questions. (laughs) They said. All right, so this is the one question. Our bad, we didn't see that. Um, Jeffrey B, what happened to Timo Meyer? He looks like a shell of himself. He stands out like a sore thumb at a minus twenty-two, while being the devil's highest-paid forward. Is it the pressure of the new contract?
0: No, I don't believe that at all. In fact, remember when we talked about Timo Meyer the other day? I said yep. I said there are two guys in New Jersey that are bitterly disappointing. One is Andre Palat and one is Timo Meyer. Yep. And for whatever reason, I don't know if they just lost a little bit, but both those guys are struggling. And they need oh, tonight. There are three games in the league that matter tonight, Jimmy. Okay. One, Islanders at Pittsburgh. Two, New Jersey at Washington. Three, Minnesota at Winnipeg. Those three games matter a ton. Matter a ton. Yep. And, and, you know, if those Jersey guys that I talked about, Palat and Meyer don't show up, it's going to be hard for them to win on the road because they don't get last change, and they're going to load up on 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 Hughes. They're going to load up on Hughes. They can say anything they want about Easter They're going to load up on Hughes.
1: All right, our final question we got is the one from Evan, another great video one. Let's close it off with Evan.
0: As you know, I really respect your opinion and your knowledge, and I really try not to be one of those fans who's constantly issuing – irritating opinions that have no basis in reality. And what I'm about to refer to doesn't have any basis in reality. It's not something that's ever likely to happen. Nonetheless, if either of you try to tell me right now that you know for a certainty that 52-year-old Yammer Yager is not better than a single player on the Pittsburgh Penguins starting roster as it stands right now, as they're playing right now, I'm not listening. You can't change my mind. can't do it. Nope. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. Okay, eighty-seven is pretty darn good. Sidney Crosby's having an MVP type year. And I think.
1: Yeah, but here I think he's, yeah, he's, here, I think he's trying Zimmer
0: to say. Could
1: I think he's trying to say, could Yager? Unless I misread it, was he trying to? I think he's trying to say, could Yager play? Could he replace a player on that roster? Oh,
0: right. That he could do, hundred yes. percent. But yeah. I thought I took it as saying he's better than any player playing for the penguins now. And oh, I don't I don't agree yeah, with that. Like, yeah. I mean Sydney's at another level. I'll just use him as an example. Could Jaromir play on the team? He could.
1: You know, when I practicing. saw him practicing, um I can't say the thought not didn't go through practicing. my head. I'm
0: like mean? skated a lot of time I skated I a lot out skated a lot of hours with that guy. he
1: gets play not? why still not?
0: Hey don't we have to say uh we're thinking of somebody today
1: from the movies? Yeah we do by the way Dr. Hook from Slapshot has passed away here. Sad news. We saw that you sent me the tweet this morning. Um, He was was a great character in that movie, Pierre. And it's, you know, I follow the, the Hanson guys on Twitter and they've been doing a lot of dedications to him today. Just really talking about him and what he meant to them. So uh, it's, I think one of the greatest things too, Pierre, how those characters have become not just ingrained in like, their movie, they, they become part of hockey culture. And so when you see one of them pass away, uh, yeah, we definitely want to pay our respects.
0: Yeah, we're thinking of Paul D'Amato and his family, and he did a lot for hockey in Connecticut, I can tell you that, and, and in Western Massachusetts. And uh, I want to thank Eric Oppen for bringing that to my attention, Who's uh really does a ton uh, for hockey in New England, but in particular in the state of
1: Connecticut. Um, so thoughts and prayers are going out to the D'Amato family for sure. For sure. All right, well, let's wrap it up. Thank you to Matt Cater for joining us, NHL agent. That was a blast. Could have gone on forever. It was so fun. Uh, And thanks to our production crew. And Pierre, thank you. And we...
0: Kelly McCrimmon tomorrow. Kelly McCrimmon
1: tomorrow. Kelly McCrimmon, the GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, will join us here on the iTest on the Sick Podcast Network. We'll talk to you then.
0: And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow
2: The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook,
0: Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.